We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard.
in history, have they ever had a eureka moment? Have they discovered any way around justification by faith in alone? Have they figured out some other way to do it, to dodge grace? And so, so Paul, today, after building this argument of three chapters, has to go to the great Kuba of the faith, okay? To his audience, he has to choose one person to make this glorious doctrine a reality. He's got to, like, wrap flesh around it so his people will understand that this is the system. And so he goes to Abraham. Let's look at Abraham together. Verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? That is, our physical forefather. What was gained by him? The word used for gained here is where we get the word eureka, a discovery. Like, did Abraham discover something about this whole salvation thing? Does Abraham agree with everything that Paul has said thus far? Was it this great discovery for Abraham? Is Paul making all this stuff up? Or is this the pure gospel that has been given to us since the beginning? Again, has Abraham found a way to skirt the system? Is Paul making something up? So Paul's arguments must be tested by Abraham. Or else, everything that we've set up to this point is basically a wash, right? And kids, I would kind of imagine it like this. You know the, the, uh, the Disney movie, The Little Mermaid? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite characters in that is the uh, French chef. Okay. So it's like he's singing and he's like tossing his big old body around, and just like that. And then he finds the crab. And what does he do? He says, Zuckerlaw! Right? I have yeast one, right? So basically, Paul has gone, have I yeast one? Like, I've been teaching you this stuff so far, but is there one person that, like, doesn't fall under this great and glorious doctrine of salvation? And if Abraham, if we've yeast him, then there's a whole bunch of holes in my argument. Verse 2, for Abraham was justified, or if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, pause, and look at. Okay? If Abraham has something to boast about, like if he has attained or discovered, has, has Abraham had a group of moment to get salvation through works? Well, so far, that's not what we've learned about justification, right? You don't get saved by doing good stuff, no matter how much good you do, no matter how many poor people you feed, no matter how many times you're in church, no matter, like, whatever it is, you can never be morally good enough to earn 
your salvation, to be justified, Lord Jesus, to declare yourself righteous. That's not justification. It's kind of like this, okay? There's this story that says this guy was living in England. He owned this Rolls Royce, which is this really nice kind of car, okay? And he, um, he had the car um, on a ferry, and he went to another, like, he, he hopped the island of England and went on to the mainland, okay? And while he was driving on the mainland, his car broke down. He calls up Rolls Royce, the company. And Rolls-Royce flies a mechanic on over the water, lands, gets to where he is, and meanwhile, the guy that owns the Rolls-Royce is going, oh my goodness, how much money is this going to cost me, right? I'm paying for a flight, I'm paying for this guy's gas, I'm paying for the little girl. Mechanic gets on under the vehicle, fixes up the car, um, the guy drives away, Calls up Rolls Royce and says, Hey, how much? How much is this going to cost me? And Rolls Royce says, There is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with your Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> and that, brothers and sisters, is justification. Right? Like if you want a nice or, or memorable way to remember and think about justification, it's just as if. I never said Which is such a beautiful truth. Right? You come to take in Christ. He looks upon you, gives you righteousness, and he goes, it's like just as if you never sinned. But the question is, did Abraham's work get him justified? If you try, Abraham could try. If you try, You'll probably look really, really good in this world to everyone else, to your left and right. But look at how the end of the verse goes. The last four words says, but not before God. So the title of today's message is Eurythification, which I'm just trying to have fun with. <coughs> What would be the answer? Can you discover and attain and get your own justification? No, you can't. Right? So the timeless truth of this text is that God's way of justifying has always been by faith and grace alone. Amen. Okay? That's where we're going. Uh, so point number one, which really captures uh, verses one to eight, says this, that you are justified by faith, not by works. You're justified by faith, not by works. Verses 1 to 8. And even reading that, those last four words, but not before God, is a humbling statement. It like puts everyone on an even playing field. It says to all mankind that God's standards, not man's standards, God has standards, no matter what we do with our works, we can't attain salvation. So how did Abraham get saved, Newman? How did he get saved? Paul, Apostle Paul? And Paul's like, all right, well, I'm glad you asked. Let's have an Old Testament Bible study, Paul says, okay? 
Okay, so let's go to verse 3. Okay, and he says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham, look at the quotes. Abraham believed God, and it was counted, keyword, counted to him as righteousness. Alright, so if you're if you're a note taker in your Bible, I would go ahead and look at that word counted and just go ahead and circle. Every time you see it in this passage, okay? This is a new word to learn in Romans. New word, new concept. And another translation, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, you guys know how a credit card works? Kids, do you guys know how a credit card works? If your mom and dad go to a grocery store, they pull out their wallet, and they take out their credit card. What exactly is happening in that transaction? Or if I could ask in a more specific way, kids, do you know who is paying for your groceries when mom and dad swipes that credit card? Is it mom and dad? Yes. No, it's not. It's not. Not yet. <laughs> Financial note. I remember it all comes in there. Pay their credit card bills at the end of each month. Fully. Right? Don't let that interest get you. But in this case, in the, in the spiritual illustration, when you buy your groceries and you swipe that card, actually the credit card company pays for your groceries. And this like word credited. Has, has like embedded within, within it a notion of belief. So the credit card believes that you will pay them back at the end of the month. And so for now, when you swipe it, actually those groceries belong to the credit card company. So at the end of every month, I get my credit card bill. This is kind of how the inner workings of our budget goes. And I pay it off from my personal bank account. But for that month leading up to when I actually get the bill, someone else has paid for the groceries. And we can say those groceries were credited to me. So Abraham, friends, believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. His sins were forgiven. And he was given the righteousness in order to meet God's standards of righteousness. Except in the case of salvation, you can't pay for the bill for your sins In this case, someone else has to pay for your sin. And kids, who paid for your sins and when were your sins paid for? This is the classic Sunday school name. Who did it? That's right. When did he pay for the sins? At his death and resurrection. Amen? Amen. Abraham believed here. It was 
paid for it here. Therefore, everyone who believed up until that point, their salvation was credited to them. So Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. Okay, so the reader naturally has to ask, well, when was Abraham actually saved? Like, was it before or was it after circumcision? That's the next question this text asks. So point two, the first one was that you're justified by faith, not by works. The next section, which is 9 to 17, says that you're justified by grace, not by law. Look at me at Rome, with Romans, uh, with me at Romans 4, 9 and 10. I'll read it for us. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Okay, so if you have your Bibles, flip back with me to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. I just want to show you two verses, okay? Genesis 15, verse 6. Go all the way back there with me. It says right there, this is the quote that Paul uses in Romans 4. It says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted, it was counted to him as righteousness. Do you see that? That's Genesis 15. All right, now go to the right, two pages. Go to chapter 17 and verse 10. Look on over there. Write a little note for margin, okay? Write 15, 15, um, 6 in the margin of 1710. And go like, before or after? This, in chapter 17, this is where Abraham gets circumcised. So the simple question is, when did Abraham believe? When did Abraham have his sins forgiven and righteousness made a reality in his life? Well, what comes first, 15 or 17? 15. And Paul is very clear here. He says, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. It was before. Paul really harps on the timing of it. It's really important to him and to the Lord. So, was Abraham justified by following the law? What do you think, church? No, he wasn't. He was justified by faith. It was a gift and grace to Abraham. Let me just ask it in a different way. Was he justified? Was he saved? Because he was, like, really awesome and godly? No. No, like, just take a peek at verse 5 for a second. It says, God justifies the... What does your translation have? The... The ungodly. That's right. That's right. And God justifies the ungodly. And in the word of my favorite long-haired friend, Josh Cousins. Okay. God justifies the bozos, right? He chooses the bozos. Why? Because he gets all the glory. 
your eyes go to verse 16 with me. Paul concludes his thoughts. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all men. I just love that. Rest And friends, I mean, just to be honest, we could really live. We could mine deeply the gold that is in this passage. We could live in this for a while. I would, I would like to share one more thing with you as it relates to this idea of this credited to him. Some say that this is the most important verse to understand in your Bible. So we've got to spend a little time on it. Um, in, when, when we read it, it was credited to him or counted to him. Um, you might gain this impression that God is very transactional in his relationship with you uh, because credited or counted, they are bookkeeping terms. And for those of you who are really into Excel spreadsheets, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I love that. I love that. And for those of you who don't look at Excel spreadsheets, you're like, Where's the love in that? Um, I can't really relate to that. Um, where's the relationship? Is what you're asking. Uh, some of the older translations uh, in our scriptures translate this verse like this Abraham believed, and it was reckoned, it was reckoned to his righteousness. Which, let me just preface, is not like Hey, old boy, let me get my boots on and we'll get out of the creek and we'll, like, get back to that house where I'm about to walk my mall. Like, pound my backside, I reckon. <laughs> Not really like that. Reckon is, is a word that just means, <laughs> it just means it's spoken. Okay? Uh, and this, these words that were spoken have a promise. And so, when Abraham believed, God spoke, promised that he would deliver his salvation. The words weren't empty. Those words had a promise with a present reality for Abraham. Did that only happen in the Old Testament? Did that only happen for Abraham? Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Right, this is New Testament stuff. This is the ministry of Jesus. He comes on the scene. You're wondering who this guy is. And he goes to a house. And these guys, like he's sitting in the house in like spackle and like mud and sticks begin to like fall into his hair and into his beard. And he looks up, and he's noticing that guys are, like, sawing through the ceiling, okay? And everyone's, like, rattled, like, what's Jesus going to do? What's he? And they lower, they lower this guy who, who really needs Jesus, okay? And Jesus looks at him, and he says, what? You guys know this story well. Not, not, whoa, 
you've got some problems with your legs, I am going to heal those legs right away. He actually sees a bigger and greater need. He goes, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And because Jesus knows everything, he, he looks amongst those who are there and looks at the Pharisees and goes, I, can, I know what you're thinking. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or pick up your mat and walk. And Mark includes something that's so profound. And I want to read it for you. And I want you to look at the repetition that Mark uses so that you can see this in glory and the power of Jesus. Ready? Why do you question these things in your hearts? Verse 9 says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Watch what Mark does here. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never seen anything like this. Did you hear it, though, in that passage? Jesus. Son of Man, he spoke to him, and Mark wants us to see it. Did you see the repetition? And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, friends, he didn't touch the paralytic. And Mark wants us to see that he spoke to him, and he forgave his sin. Post-Abraham, pre-cross. And the paralytic left that day forgiven, and his sins were paid for. And that day, his sins were credited. He had salvation. He was forgiven. And what I want our church to see this morning is that Jesus either has done that for you or can do the same thing. When you were saved, it was like Jesus looked at you and he said, I love you. You're special. Your sins are forgiven. It wasn't this cold transaction. You are special to him. He knows you. He cares for you, and he wants you to cast all your cares upon him. Bring my heart and praying for you this week and preparing this message. I just I didn't want you to just go, oh, cool. All right, so that's how Abraham was saved, and it's just before circumcision. I'm a little bit smarter now. But for you to see the Old Testament and the ministry of Jesus, and for you to respond with such a grateful and worshipful and like just heart that bubbles over for the goodness and graciousness of God.
Jesus looks at you and knows you and loves you. Amen? Amen. So let's just riff on this idea of counting in our last few moments together, okay? Here's just two applications from our uh, Three, sorry, three. Uh, number one, count it a blessing. You've seen it. What do I mean? God. Seven times in this passage, he counts you righteous. He counted you. He doesn't count it like this, but he counts it like all over counting. And so, in the middle of this passage, Abraham brings up this beautiful truth. Forgive me, Paul brings up this Abraham, this glorious truth about David, and says that David counted being forgiven. One word used all over it. It's verses 6, 7, and 8. Counted a blessing. Like, have you taken advantage of the blessing of being continually forgiven? Right? Let me just read it. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. Friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, but this week, count it a great blessing that God has forgiven you at your conversion, but also continues to commit to forgive your sins. Go to him. First John 1 9 says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what our Lord does continually. Like bask in that blessing. Beautiful. So, church, let's, con let's confess our sins. Number two, just riding on the wave of counting. Okay, ready? Count it all joy. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We'll get into more of this uh, in Romans 5, but for now, cherish this idea. You, if you have been counted righteous, or righteous before God, then the natural or a very good response to this is to count everything in your life as joy. Because God's working in your life. Number three, count all the loss compared to knowing God. Count all the loss. And here's what I mean, okay? You might like if you're a believer in here, you might respond like this to this being justified. Oh, cool. All right, what's for lunch? Okay. But if you could hold up the lens of being counted righteousness and respond like this, I'm going to look at everything in my life. I'm going to lay my whole calendar, all my schedule, all my appointments this week, every conversation, every interaction that I have, every thought, and I'm going to hold it up to the light of the beautiful truth that I can count everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Church, run hard after the Lord this week in pursuit of knowing Him. That is a great response to this. If he 
he counted me righteous, well then I can count everything else a loss, and I can pursue him in whole. Are you with me? Yes. Let's do that this week. Let me pray. So, Father, would you help us remember that you have counted us righteous? And, Lord, help us respond with, with counting all things of us. We want to know you, the power of your resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. We we need help in that area. Would you raise up brothers and sisters in Christ around us to pursue your son Jesus? We need, we need help from your Holy Spirit who is at work within us. Would you surface things that we get to surrender? Would you recall to mind areas that are weaknesses or sin that we need to, we need to lay off, we need to turn, we need to put to death? so that we may follow you wholeheartedly. Would you help us? And we know that you have promised that. Your words aren't empty. You reckon all over the scriptures how you work in our lives, and it's your joy to do it. Would you use us this Thank you.